first or after the fact. They were cleansed by faith the same way the Jews had been. No one had been able to meet the demands of the law. So why were the Judaizers trying to force the Gentiles to do something they couldn't do themselves? It was obvious that God had accepted the Gentiles and he was still doing so. Barnabas and Paul shared how he was currently expressing his approval at their conversion through signs and wonders and miracles. The multitude kept quiet as they heard what God was doing. It was obvious that God was behind Barnabas and Paul's ministry. And that was the fact that needed to be established. Indeed, when looking into an issue, we must go beyond listening to men's opinions. Sometimes the church is criticized by individuals who say, no one listened to me. We should listen. We should listen and listen carefully. And we should give thought to all opinions. But we've got to go beyond just listening to opinions or taking a vote to determine what's right. We've got to seek to know the will of God. We must look for his hand in the situation, what he has done in the past and is currently doing to make his will known. I think that is the most important fact to examine in any controversy. What is God doing in the midst of this? And then, to make sure we're not reading something into the situation that's not there, we turn to the scriptures for confirmation. That's what they did next, verses 13 through 18. And after they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from the Gentiles a, a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after these things I will return and I will build the tabernacle of God which has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it in order that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. It was James who spoke up. And it was significant that he did. He was highly respected by both sides of the issue. He was a half-brother of Jesus and was known as James the Just. It was said he had knees like camels for being on them in prayer so often. He was very devout and very Jewish. And he wasn't involved in a ministry to Gentiles. So if anyone would be supportive of the Judaizers, you'd think it would be James. But he pointed to the scriptures. What Simeon, calling Peter by his Jewish name, had related was confirmed by scripture. The prophets had foretold the coming of Gentiles into the rebuilt house of God. And they were to come in as Gentiles who had accepted the offer to be called by the name of God. 
and not as Jews. God had spoken. And James' understanding of the Scriptures carried a lot of weight. Now, it's true that it's possible to distort Scripture, to take it out of context and misapply it to support your position. So just quoting Scripture is not enough. But the church should listen when men of integrity and insight share what they have discerned from God's Word. If it can be clearly seen that he has spoken on the matter, that settles it. There can be no give and take. However, not every issue can be settled by appealing to Scripture because Scripture doesn't address every issue. And even those it does often have side issues that are open for conciliation and compromise. And that was the case here. Because we see some compromising then taking place. Verses 19 through 21. Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols, and from fornication, and from what is strangled, and from blood. For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him, since he's read in the synagogue every Sabbath. James' judgment was that they not trouble the Gentile believers. Now, that doesn't mean they were to be ignored or avoided or to not ask anything of them. It means they were not to plant seeds of doubt about their salvation, to trouble them spiritually. They were acceptable to God just as they were. That was settled by God's word and his actions. But there was something the Gentile believers could do and should do to make for good relationships in the church. There were several concessions they should make for the sake of harmony. Jewish believers were very strict about what they ate. And if Gentiles and Jews were to fellowship together in the church, they would need to observe some things that would make fellowship possible. For one thing, Gentile believers would have to avoid eating meat sacrificed to idols. That was very offensive to the Jews, for it appeared to them as if they were honoring false gods by doing so. And it wouldn't hurt to go ahead and observe kosher regulations on all the meat they ate, to avoid things containing blood and things not properly slaughtered. One other thing, and it should have gone without saying, Gentile believers were to avoid fornication, sexual immorality. It was accepted as the norm in their pagan culture. It was not acceptable by Jewish or Christian standards. So the Gentile believers would have to make sure their Jewish brethren realized that they stood with them on this matter, as opposed to the culture out of which they had come. 
Well, that was it. Those were the restrictions put on the Gentiles. And the dietary restrictions had no reflection on their salvation whatsoever. They were merely concessions that would make fellowship possible. They were simply being asked to restrict their liberty for the sake of their Jewish brethren. Now that's an important principle. We may have every right to do some things, but we're called upon to yield some of those rights for the sake of our brethren. Now there are limits. There are limits to such restrictions. The Judaizers were also very offended by the lack of circumcision. So there's some things that we just have to say, I'm sorry. You know, that was a major issue. And theological issues were involved. So no concessions could be made on the matter of, of circumcision. They couldn't just say, well, let's just do it. Okay? But there's some things they could say, come on, let's not make an issue of this. So when it's possible, compromise should be considered. We should be willing to yield on matters of opinion and personal liberty for the sake of our brothers and sisters. You know, we've gone through a period in church history where they speak of uh, worship wars, <laughs> where churches are dividing over what kind of music should be played, what kind of songs should be sung. And, and some people say, well, I don't like that. Others say, well, I do like that. So what do we do with that? We say, well, let's just, you go to your church, I'll go to my church. No. We, we personally give up some of our personal opinions and preferences for the sake of our brethren. We say, well, I really don't care for that, but it ministers to somebody else in the church. That's fine. That's fine. What an important principle in getting along with each other. How essential that is. Whenever it's possible, we should be willing to give up personal liberties for the sake of our brothers and sisters. When we can avoid offending someone or being offended by standing on our rights, we should. It's an important principle. Remember, when dealing with conflict, controversy, and dissension in the church. So James suggested the concessions to be made, and a consensus was sought on his suggestion. This is really interesting. Verses 22 through 29. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabas and Silas, leading men among the brethren. And they sent this letter by them. The apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia who are from the Gentiles, greetings. Since we have heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction have disturbed you with their words, unsettling your souls, it seemed good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send to you with our beloved 
Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. What a letter. What a letter. It seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church. Apparently, the congregation affirmed the decision made by the apostles and the elders. It was then decided to send Judas and Silas, leaders in the Jerusalem church, to Antioch with a letter sharing the conclusions of the meeting. And they were able to conclude the matter because they had become of one mind. They didn't vote. The majority didn't win. The minority didn't lose. They had worked the matter through to consensus. Indeed, all who are involved in decision-making for the church should seek unanimity in the decisions. For when they find it, they will have the Spirit's direction. We don't vote to make decisions. We seek God's will. We seek the mind of God. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us You know, I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit's direction can still be found through a a consensus of the eldership. If all involved in a decision-making process meet the spiritual requirements for elders, they will be seeking the Lord's will, not their own. It won't be a political process. And since they are if they're biblically qualified, well-versed in the Scripture, and sensitive to His leading, I'm convinced they can rest assured that when consensus is reached, they have found God's will in the matter. We've tried to live by that for years and years and years. I've shared that with others who say, that's impossible. It can't happen. It does happen. It's not perfect, but it's as good as we can get. It's as good as we can get. And the apostles and the elders had come to that place. And the church backed them up. They stood with their leaders. They trusted that God's will had been made known, and the matter could be concluded in peace. Verses 30 through 35. So when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. 
And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. And after they had spent time there, they were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out. But it seemed good to Silas to remain there because we're going to see him appearing back in the narrative. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others the word of the Lord. When they arrived in Antioch, they gathered the congregation and delivered the letter. They read it and rejoiced. Now, I think it's significant that the congregation was simply informed of the decision that had been made. They didn't vote on whether or not to accept it. They simply rejoiced over the fact that the decision had been made, that God's will had been discerned. Judas and Silas preached and encouraged the church, and then Judas left in peace, knowing that harmony existed between the church in Jerusalem and the church in Antioch. Sadly, later events would show that they didn't actually settle it for everyone. Some Judaizers would persist in spite of the decision. But the issue had been settled, and the church as a whole was at peace. Gentiles and Jews had the same standing before God. Both were saved by the cross of Christ and the cross alone. The same is true today. The way of the cross leads home for all who will accept it. There aren't separate plans for separate groups. We all share the same hope. We all share the same confidence controversy is behind us, and hopefully we've learned some lessons about resolving conflicts in the church today, how to approach it, how to examine it, how to come to conclusions, and how to peace, how peace can remain in the church. But most importantly, I trust we know what's required and what isn't to be found acceptable in God's sight. You don't have a list of requirements. You simply have faith in the cross of Christ and confidence in what he's done. You need to express your faith in the cross of Christ. Obviously, you're welcome.